0: last few chapters of Genesis we've seen Joseph putting his brothers through several tests and the purpose of these tests were to find out where his brothers were at to find out whether they've actually changed from the men that they were 20 years before this. When Joseph was 17, his brothers uh, miserably failed the test that they had placed before them because of their jealousy with Joseph. They decide to sell him into slavery. And now he wants to see, you know, are they different from what they used to be? And Joseph's been given a great opportunity by the Lord. He's now second in command to Pharaoh Uh, He now has his brother standing before him, and he chooses not to reveal himself to his brothers because he wants to test them. He wants to find out if they've changed. And we've seen him go through several different tests and, and each time the brothers have shown themselves to have changed. And then finally, last chapter, we saw really kind of the, the final exam, the, the deepest test so far, the most revealing test. And that is when Joseph's brothers you know, came to buy more food from the famine. Joseph tells his servant, put my silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And when the brothers leave, I want you to catch them. I want you to accuse them of stealing this silver cup. And I want you to tell them that whoever has taken this is going to have to be my slave. And we're going to find out if they're going to stick with Benjamin or not. We're going to find out if they've actually changed, if they're going to do like they did to me, the favored son. Are they going to abandon me and sell me away? And so he poses this test to see what takes place. And so his servant goes and Puts the cup in Benjamin's sack, and uh, they head out. And the servant comes to them and accuses them, and they deny it, and they think they're innocent. And all of a sudden, the servant finds the cup in Benjamin's sack, and the brothers have their opportunity. Twenty years ago, they would have said, "See you, Benjamin. Tough luck for you. Sorry. One more spoiled brat or favored child, or whatever they probably felt of him. You know, gone. We we don't have to deal with you anymore." But instead, we see them staying with their brother, going back to Egypt. And then we have this amazing thing that Je- uh, Judah shares with Joseph. And he's, you know, just shares his heart. He shares what this is not only going to do to the brothers, uh, but what this is going to do to their father. And then ultimately, Judah says, you know what? Let me take his place. Let me be the one who stays here as a slave and let Benjamin leave. This is the same brother who came up with the idea of let's sell Joseph as a slave. The same brother who said, you know what? Let's tell dad that he's dead and let's dip his coat in blood. This same brother who took the lead on selling Joseph is now the same brother taking the lead on protecting Benjamin. And so we end that chapter seeing the change that Joseph has been waiting for, the change that these tests have been seeking to find because we really see a repentance finally in his brothers. And so tonight we're going to now come to chapter 45. J- uh, Judah has just shared you know, this heartfelt plea to Joseph. And now it's time to shift the focus. The net- last two chapters have been all about the brothers and how they were going to respond to their sin against Joseph. And now as we come to chapter 45, the focus is on Joseph. How is he now going to respond to the sin of his brothers and the change that he's seen in them? You know, What is he going to do in response to all that has happened? And really we're going to see a chapter that's focused on forgiveness. But what we're going to see that's kind of unique about this chapter, it's, it's coming from a person with power to get revenge. And that's the thing that I think is so important here to know because, you know, a lot of times we see, I mean, if you read the book, like Fox Book of Martyrs or something, you see people who were killed for their faith and, you know, the first martyr, Stephen, all the way to now. And, and so many people who were willing to forgive those who killed them, but yet they were the ones who didn't have power. It was the ones who were killing them that had the power. But when the roles are reversed, And you're the one who's been slighted. You're the one who's had something horrible done to you. But now you have power to get back at those who have hurt you. You have power to destroy the lives of the people who've destroyed you. Your willingness to forgive them is a whole new category, a whole new situation. And that's what we're going to be seeing with Joseph. Because he is second in command to Pharaoh. He has the power to wipe out his brothers if he chooses to. And we're going to see this forgiveness from someone who has power to destroy his enemies. And as we look at Joseph in this chapter, as we've seen so many times, he's going to be a wonderful picture of Jesus. Because just like Joseph, Jesus had the ability to destroy all the enemies that he had. And he chooses to forgive those even though if he wanted to, he could have killed them. So let's see what we can learn from Joseph's response <clears throat> to his brothers. Verses 1-3, through 3, started in chapter 45, says this, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. So chapter 44 just ends and Joseph hears this plea from Judah. The last thing Judah says is, hey, let me take Benjamin's place. Release Benjamin. Let me be the slave of you for the rest of my life. And and Joseph is moved. He's finally seeing his brothers change and repentance and this time for him now to reveal who he truly is to his brothers and he cries out and he tells everybody to leave so all the Egyptians that are in the room get out of here I just want me and my brothers to be together he weeps so loud that we're told the Egyptians and Pharaoh could hear him now, at this point in time, the brothers might be thinking, man, Judah gave a great speech, but we weren't expecting this kind of response. I mean, here's this guy, you know, getting all passionate, and, and now they're kind of wondering what's going on, and then he says some shocking words. I am Joseph. Does my father still live? When Joseph's brothers hear that he is Joseph, they don't have any response. Were told they were dismayed. This Hebrew word translated dismayed means to be disturbed, anxious, afraid, and terrified. Joseph's brothers had good reason to be disturbed, anxious, afraid, and terrified. Try and put yourself in their position. They know that they did one of the worst things that they could do to their brother. They sold him into a lifetime of slavery and they just let him go. And they didn't care how it impacted him. They didn't care how it impacted their father. And now they realize Joseph has the power to get revenge. And I want you to remember these brothers because these are the guys who actually get revenge. Remember what happened when Dinah was raped? Remember what they did? They killed every single man in that city. Not just the man who was guilty, but every man in that city they killed. And then they took every man or every woman and child as slaves. That was their response. These men are men who want revenge. We've seen that in their life. And people who are like that assume that others will treat them the same. And so I'm sure when they realize, oh my goodness, look at the power that Joseph has right now, and look what we've done against him, we're dead men. I'm sure if they thought, if we were in Joseph's shoes, and Joseph did to us what we did to him, we'd kill him. And so now they're they're terrified. They're, They're thinking, this is it, we're done. The tables have now turned. 20 years ago, Joseph was powerless to stop 10 of his brothers from throwing him in a pit, 10 of his brothers from selling him into a slave. But now Joseph has become the second most powerful man in the world. And Joseph's brothers are the ones that are powerless to stop Joseph if he chooses to do them harm. Now I want you to think about how you would respond if you were in Joseph's position. If someone had done something horrible to you, like sell you as a slave, unjustly throw you in prison, have you beaten, take all your possessions, you know, whatever it is that you want to think of that they have done to you. And after that happened, your, your situation changes and then you rise up into some position of power where you now have power over them. Their lives are in your hand. How would you use your power? Would you seek revenge? Would you seek to destroy those that destroyed you? Or would you forgive them and not use your power against them? You know, there's a great book and movie called The Count of Monte Cristo. The most recent movie is the one that I recommend with Jim Caviezel and it. It's very well done. But, you know, the story is of an innocent man who's falsely accused of something and thrown into you know, a prison and he's tortured and then there's all sorts of things that he goes through and he's done nothing to deserve this. And within this prison he he meets a, a priest who has a map to a great treasure. And he and the priest are trying to tunnel out of this prison to escape and there's kind of this elaborate thing. And you know finally he gets you know the map from the priest and the priest tells him, you know, if you find the treasure, don't use it to get revenge. Well he does find the treasure and now he has a choice to make. This is this huge treasure. He has all this wealth which is going to bring him lots of power. And now that he has this power, can he you know, just go and live life and be happy and be happy that he's no longer in prison and just be forgiving and content and not trying to get revenge? Or is he going to go after the people who put him in that horrible situation in prison and he decides to get revenge and use his power to come after those who destroyed his life? Uh, and, you know, as I watch that movie, there's definitely a part of my flesh That enjoyed seeing the people who betrayed him, the people who treated him so bad get what I felt they deserved. That there was part of me in my flesh that thought, you know what, this is good that this character is using all his wealth to get revenge about, you know, against these people. And I think there's part of us that, you know, we're drawn to that. We want that. If we were in that role, we kind of have to ask ourselves, you know, how would we respond if we actually had the capability of getting back at these people who have done this to us. But you know what? That is not how God wants us to respond. Romans 12.19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God wants us to forgive those who do us wrong and leave the vengeance to Him leave that to him lord if you want to take care of them if you want to deal with them i trust you with them i'm not going to take that upon myself that is not something that god desires us to do of all the things that joseph has dealt with so far in his life you know i wonder if not seeking revenge was the hardest you know we've seen so much that he was willing to put his trust in god when it was when he was in the pit he was willing to trust god When he was a slave in Potiphar's house, he was willing to trust God while he was in prison. Now he's willing to trust God in this position in the palace. But now the challenge is, am I going to trust God and do what is right with the power I have over my brothers? Will I trust God and and forgive my brothers when I now have the power to get back at them? When I now have the power to get revenge for what they've done? You know, trusting God when you're a person of power can be very difficult. And one of the reasons it's more difficult is because we're tempted to trust ourselves because now we have power to actually do something. And when you realize you have power in certain areas, you sometimes want to manipulate the situation. You sometimes want to take advantage of that. And it can be more difficult to say, Lord, I'm going to trust You. When we're powerless... It's often easy to trust the Lord. It's like, well, Lord, I can't do anything anyway, so I guess I'll trust You. But when we're powerful and we can do lots of things, it can be very difficult to say, Lord, I'm not going to depend on or rely upon the power that I have, but instead I'm going to trust in You. Well, let's see what Joseph does with the power that he has over his brothers. Verses 4-8 through says this, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother. "...whom you sold into Egypt, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these past two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance." So now it was... Not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. As Joseph's brothers are looking at him and fearful and oh my goodness, here's our brother and they we're doomed. He says something. Well, first he says something that I'm sure made them think they are doomed. He starts with, I'm Joseph. And the one you sold is a slave to Egypt. Reminding them of their sin, and I'm sure right away they're thinking, oh, yeah, he hasn't forgotten. You know, we're done. This is, but this is it. But then he goes on to say something that is so powerful, something that must have been such a, a wonderful thing to hear. He says, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. How could Joseph Make that statement. How could he tell his brothers, you know, don't be grieved, don't be angry that you sold me as a slave here to Egypt? How could he show that kind of forgiveness? Well, I think one of the reasons is because Joseph recognized that God was in complete control of his life, that God was in complete control of this situation and all that had happened to him. Notice what Joseph says in verses 5-8. through He repeats something three times and he really wants to emphasize, brothers, make sure you get this. Look at, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, It was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Three times Joseph tells his brother, hey, God sent me here. And he really makes it specific. It wasn't you. It was God. God's bigger than you. I know that your hearts were jealous. I know that you sold me. I know that you didn't want me. I know that you didn't care about me. But you know what? I realized something that God was using all of this. Ultimately, the one who brought me to Egypt, the one who sent me here, it wasn't you. It wasn't based off of your jealousy. It wasn't based off of what you did. God had a bigger plan. God was the one who ultimately sent me here because he had something for me to do while I was here in Egypt. There was a plan that was so much bigger, a plan to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. In chapter 15, he's going to say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And he came to this realization, this recognition, God sent me, God did this, God had this plan to ultimately bring deliverance to you to save your lives. Does this sound familiar to you? You know, this is an amazing picture of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus reveals Himself to us. He reveals to us our sin. And oftentimes when we recognize our sin, we recognize the judgment that our sin brings. There's that fear that comes with it. But right away, we hear the wonderful news that we don't need to be fearful about the punishment of our sin. We don't need to be grieved about what we have done to the Lord because God had a plan. A plan to save our lives by a great deliverance. And that plan was for Jesus to come and die on the cross for our sins. To take our place so that we wouldn't have to suffer the punishment of our sin in hell. You know, I'm confident that Joseph's words of forgiveness to his brothers are probably the sweetest they ever heard. We've seen in the last few chapters that great guilt that's been in their life and everything that's gone wrong. They've associated it with that sin and that guilt of what they did to their brother. And now they're finally at a place where they're being forgiven of this thing that they've held on to now for 22 years. The word of forgiveness, so sweet. But you know what? When we as believers put our trust in Jesus Christ and we recognize that we are forgiven, It is such a sweet thing, the sweet words of the Lord, that He forgives us. The first thing I want you to note in how Joseph responds to his repentant brothers is that he is willing to forgive them of such a horrible thing. And this is a wonderful example to us and I want us to take this first point of we need to choose to forgive everyone who does something against us no matter how bad it is. I mean... I don't know if we're going to, are going to suffer something as bad as our own siblings selling us into slavery, but no matter how bad it is, no matter what someone does against us, that we would never come to a place where you say, you know what, that's beyond forgiveness. And I think sometimes we we have you know this kind of well measuring stick here of of okay, I'll forgive this and I'll forgive this and I'll forgive this, but once it gets to this extreme, once you do something this bad to me. There is no forgiveness for that. You go beyond that and don't expect me to ever give or offer you forgiveness in that. And that just goes against what the Word of God shares with us. And I realize that there are things that are very difficult to forgive. There are uh, sins that can come against us that are so hard for us to forgive. But when we're struggling with forgiveness, a great verse to remember is Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You know, so often, whenever the challenge of forgiveness comes to us in Scripture, it's always connected with the way in which Jesus forgave us. Forgive others how you were forgiven. Not just forgive others the way you feel like it, but forgive others the way that you were forgiven. And when we sit back and we think about how we were forgiven, and that's why I think it's so great that we regularly take communion, we regularly remember Jesus' sacrifice, we regularly remember what He's done for us, we remember what we were forgiven in our life for. And we realize there was nothing that we did that Jesus wasn't willing to forgive. All the horrible things that we've ever done, He was willing to say, I forgive that. And so when we're facing a situation and a person that has done something that we feel like that's unforgivable, We need to come to a passage like that, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. That I'm willing to forgive you like Jesus forgives me. So the first thing I want you to note is how Joseph responds by forgiving his brothers. The second thing I want you to note here, which I think is is a very difficult thing, if I was in his shoes... Joseph didn't abuse his power over his brothers to get revenge. Instead, he used his power as an opportunity to glorify God. And this is such a wonderful example. He doesn't abuse that power. He doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to get each one of you for what you did. No, I'm going to use the power, this position that the Lord has placed me and I'm going to use it for His glory not for my revenge. I'm going to use it for His glory, not for my personal gain. I'm going to use it for His glory, not for me and whatever thing that I might want to do with it. The second thing I think was great to note here is don't abuse your power, but use it as an opportunity to glorify God. You know, many of us have a position of power. For us, some of us, it's a position of power at work. You might not be the CEO, but you might have other people under you, and so you have a position of power over them. If you are a parent, you have a position of power over your children. If you are a husband, you have that role of the, the head of your home. That's a position of power. And so often in those positions of power, instead of using that power the way that we should, instead of using that power to bring glory to God, we often abuse it and in abusing the power we abuse the people that we have power over and that's never something that God wants us to do he always wants us to take advantage of that role for his glory for his purposes to recognize the responsibility and to use it in a right way joseph does that he uses his position of power to bring glory to god not to get revenge or for anything of himself and that choice was a huge blessing to his brothers. I'm sure that was probably the best, the, the most, uh, excited they were of something that Joseph chose. That you could kill each one of us, but instead, you've chosen to forgive us. Instead, you've chosen to reconcile with us. Well, now that Joseph has forgiven his brothers, he has something he wants them to do. Verses 9 through 15 says, hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have, there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin See, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. So now that Joseph has forgiven his brothers or has been a a reconciliation that has transpired, he says, you know what? I have something that I want you guys to do. I want you to go and tell Dad some things. And basically he says, I want you to tell Dad I'm alive. I want you to tell Dad what God has done and how He has risen me up into this wonderful position of second in command here in Egypt. And I want you to tell Dad to move here Because I want Him here with me. I want the whole family, all the kids and the grandkids, everything they have, come here because I want to provide for you and I want to provide a place for you to live. There's still five more years of famine and I don't want to see anything bad happen to you in this. And then Joseph demonstrates even more forgiveness as he kisses his brothers and weeps over them and then they have a wonderful conversation together once again, this is a great picture of what Jesus asks us to do. Once we receive Jesus' forgiveness, notice what He does. He tells us, all right, now I have something for you to do. I want you to go in the world and share about me. I want you to tell people what I have done for you. I want you to tell people what I have taught you. I want you to tell people that I'm alive. Tell people that I am Lord of everything. Tell people, I want a relationship with them. I want to provide for them. And that I have a home for them that I want them to dwell in. And that they don't need to worry about the possessions of this life because I have something far greater for them. You know, up to this point in time, Joseph hasn't mentioned his brothers to Pharaoh. He hasn't said anything about why he was even imprisoned, what has happened, the betrayal he faced. Pharaoh doesn't know anything But now Pharaoh knows his brothers are there. Everybody in the whole area there heard Joseph weeping out loud. And and now we're going to see how Pharaoh responds to the news that Joseph's brothers are with him. Verse 16, Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. And do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey, and he gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of garments, and he sent to his father these things, ten donkey loaded with the goods, with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Well, when Pharaoh hears that Joseph's brothers are are still, that, that they're there, he's excited. He doesn't even know, well, you've got brothers and they're here. This is so great. And so Pharaoh's excited for Joseph. And he says, you know, I want to give these guys all sorts of gifts. And I want to make sure that they have carts So that, you know, their kids and their wives, you know, they can ride on carts back to Egypt and they don't have to walk. And your old father, he can have a cart as well. And so I want to bless you with these gifts. And not only that, you know what? I want to give you the best land here in Egypt. You guys come and you live here. And don't even worry about bringing your stuff because the best that Egypt has is you. you just come and we will take care of you. You know, this is an amazing thing that happens for Joseph's brothers. They sell Joseph as a slave. They don't deserve this kind of treatment. What they deserve is to be thrown into prison or sold into slavery or or worse themselves. They don't deserve the kind of blessing that they're getting from Pharaoh. But I want you to realize why they're getting this blessing from Pharaoh. It's not because they're great guys. It's not because Pharaoh says, hey, you know what? I I love family stories. Let me give you something. There's only one reason that Pharaoh's blessing them, and that's because of Joseph. Because you're Joseph's brothers, because you're part of his family, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give all these things to you. You can come dwell here. You can have a home here. You can have all that is offered in Egypt because of your connection with Joseph. When we believe in Jesus and become part of the family of God, we get these wonderful gifts from God. And it's not because we're great. It's not because we're deserving. We're wretched sinners. The thing that we deserve is hell. We don't receive what we deserve. We get all these blessings. Why? Because of our connection to Christ. That's why we get what we get. We get every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The Lord has gone to build a home for us. We don't have to worry about the possessions and the things of this life. Oh, don't worry about that. What I have in store for you, what I have for you in heaven, is so much. Now imagine if Joseph's brothers would have said, you know what, Joseph? We don't want your gifts. We don't want your forgiveness. Just go ahead and get your revenge. Go ahead and throw us into prison. Go ahead and make us slaves. Or go ahead and kill us. If they would have done that... Imagine how stupid that would be. Imagine how foolish they would have been. But sadly, that's the exact way that so many people today respond to what Jesus Christ has done to them. Jesus offered them a free gift of salvation and forgiveness and they threw it back in His face and they say, I don't want your forgiveness. I don't care about what you can offer me. I don't care about the gifts that you want to give to me. Just send me to hell or kill me or do whatever you're going to do so foolish. Well, Joseph's brothers received forgiveness. They received the gifts from Pharaoh. And now they're making this journey back to Jacob. He still doesn't know. He still for 22 years has believed that his favorite son is dead. And now they're coming with the news that Joseph is alive. Let's see how he responds to this news. Verse 25. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived, then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive, and I will go and see him before I die. So the brothers leave Egypt. They go back to their dad, and they come with this great news. Not only is Joseph alive, but I mean, he's the governor. He's second in command to Pharaoh in Egypt. And when Jacob hears that news, we're told that his heart stood still. Not because it was so wonderful and he just was overwhelmed. His heart stood still because he didn't believe it. Notice that we see that Jacob is referred to as Jacob, not Israel. This is an interesting thing that you see from the, the moment that he had that wrestling match with God and God finally you know touched his hip and then gave him a new name and you're no longer going to be the heel catcher. You're now going to be Israel. From that point in time to now, we see that when Jacob trusts the Lord, the Bible refers to him as Israel. And when he doesn't, the Bible refers to him as Jacob. You're being like you used to be and so we're going to call you what you're being like. And when you're being like you should be, we're going to call you what you should be. And so here, we see it as well. I'm not going to believe this. I'm not going to believe that God can do this. And so Jacob, we're told, he, he doesn't believe that Joseph is alive. He doesn't believe that this is something that God could do. But then, after hearing the testimony of his sons, And after seeing all that Joseph gave to bless them and to bring to Jacob, we're told then Israel said, Joseph, my son, is still alive. Israel now believes, Israel now accepts that his son truly is alive. Now it's interesting to note that at first Jacob doesn't believe that Joseph's alive. And notice what persuades him. Two things persuade him. First is when his sons tell him the words of Joseph, what Joseph gave him to say to Jacob. And the second is the blessings that came to the sons through Joseph. And I think this is a great picture of our interaction with the world that doesn't believe that Jesus is alive. Because that's the ultimate thing that we're telling the world. We're not just telling the world that Jesus died. We're telling Him that He, he rose from the dead, that He's alive and well and seated at the right hand of the Father. But just like with Jacob, two of the main things that persuade people to believe in Jesus is one, when we share with them the words that Jesus has given us to share with them. The good news of the Gospel. But also, when they see the blessings of Jesus that are evident in our life, They see both those things. That They hear the message that Jesus has given to us to proclaim, and they see the work of Jesus, the blessings of Jesus in our life. And both of those things often persuade people To go from, oh no, there's no resurrected Jesus to getting to a place where they're willing to put their faith in Him. You know, when we share with people, we're going to encounter the Jacobs and the Israels. We're going to encounter those that say, I don't believe it. I don't accept it. I'm never going to accept it. And even maybe as we share the words of Christ and as we show the blessings of Christ in our life, they still reject it. And I want to encourage you, don't let that stop you from continuing to share because that so often is what happens. People reject the gospel, they reject our efforts, they reject our sharing, and we just kind of get to the point where are like, you know what, I'm just done. I'm tired of the rejection, I'm tired of having people say no to the gospel, and so I'm just not going to share it anymore. But remember, there's going to be those Israels. There's going to be those people that you do share with and they do accept it, and it's so worth continuing to proclaim the good news. And we need to remember it's not our role to convert people. God hasn't called us to make people believe the gospel. He's called us to proclaim it and give them the option to choose what they'll choose. But they're never going to choose Christ if they don't hear the good news. And so we need to be those who share it and trust the Lord to work in people's lives. You know, the heart of the gospel message is a message of forgiveness. And I think it's interesting, so often we're grateful for the forgiveness of God, we remember it regularly in communion, but we look back and we're so thankful that He's forgiven us of all our past sins, of all our present sins, and the future sins that we haven't even committed yet, He's going to forgive those as well. But yet, even in all that forgiveness that we have received, we can struggle with forgiving others. We can struggle with forgiving especially those people who have done things to us that's, in our mind is beyond forgiveness. And so I hope that as we see this great example in Joseph's life of a man who is willing to forgive what is something that many of us might struggle greatly to do, that we would see that and we'd recognize that the Lord wants us to follow that example, to do that in our own life. And so we need to choose to forgive everyone who does something against us no matter how bad it is. And if we are ever in a position where we have great power, to make sure that we use that power to glorify God, not an opportunity to get revenge, not an opportunity for ourselves. And this can be hard. And this can be difficult. So I'm not saying that it's easy, but it's something that the Lord wants of us, it's something that He desires us to do. And it's something that he can give us the ability to accomplish. I'm sure it wasn't easy as Joseph watched and looked at his brothers to come to this place of like, you know what, I could crush all of you right now, but I'm not. I'm going to forgive you. He was willing to do that because the Lord enabled and helped him and, and gave him what he needed. And the Lord was working in Joseph. As he was working in Joseph's brothers to change them, he was working in Joseph to get to a place where he'd be willing to forgive, where he'd be willing to reconcile, where he'd be willing to let it go and not seek vengeance and all that. So trust the Lord, rely upon Him. And if you get to a place where you're ever thinking, you know what, they don't deserve it, that's true, they don't deserve it. But neither do you and neither do I deserve the forgiveness of the Lord. And He's telling us, forgive them as I forgive you. You don't do it because they deserve it, you do it because I called you to do it.